0: Netflix presents Inside Joe: Space Force. I'm your host Jimmy O Yang. Grab your TP and don't forget your shaving cream because it's wrenching time. Now let's go inside Space Force. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about the season one finale of Netflix's Space Force. Proportionate Response, written by Greg Daniels and directed by Dana Reed. Under pressure to retaliate against China, General Nair wrestles with his conscience. Dr. Mallory makes an ominous threat, and Aaron goes rogue.
1: This is Louise. She's been very helpful.
0: This is great. We're all together. And Louise. Our guest today are two of my favorites, Chris Gethard, who plays Eddie, and his co-star, Aparna Nanchela, who plays Pella. Welcome, guys. Hey. How are you?
2: How's it going?
0: I'm good, man. Are you guys both in New York right now?
2: I am. I'm in Brooklyn, yes.
0: I moved to New Jersey,
2: so I'm back in
0: my native land. Oh, you grew up in New Jersey? I did. I did. Have you been... Were you, were
1: you doing a lot of stand-up before this pandemic? Yeah, I was. I was doing a lot, and I actually... Yeah, I've always kind of, I started at UCB and then kind of kept spreading my wings. And at this point, I feel like I'm kind of welcome in most scenes. I I sort of feel like I can float between them. Yeah, you started
0: as an improviser in UCB and then you yeah. became a stand-up?
1: Yeah, 20 years ago I started at UCB when it was yeah. just tiny and nobody had ever heard of it. And I just turned 40, so it's over half my life since I started wow. there. Wow. And, and how long have you been doing stand-up? I started, let's see, I started a storytelling show at UCB in 2006. Mm. When I started, the stand-ups really hated improv.
0: I would say even now.
1: I was talking to oh, Ben yeah. about
0: this. The pendulum
1: swung back. Yeah. There was, a, there was a golden age when, you know, the whole, like, When it was like Eugene Merman, Dimitri Martin, Mm -hmm. Reggie Watts, the variety, like Andrea Rosen, Chelsea Peretti, Variety Shack, that was a golden age where everybody really got along and kind of the more fringe weirdo stand ups had a home at UCB. And then a lot of UCB people kind of ventured out of UCB for the first time Ah. on their show. So that was very productive and healthy. And now, now stand ups hate improv more than ever and I'm on the other side of the line
0: yeah and I know you I was introduced to you uh, on your was that that was on HBO right your special your one-man show
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah and and that was um that was stand-up but it was more of a one-man show yeah, I did it off-Broadway for a while. I guess it's definitely a blurred line these days. Um,
1: did Ben tell you I taught Ben in an improv class back in get the Get out day. of here! And then we got to act on this show together.
0: That's ben, amazing. That did nice. you teach him how to act on this show also? You're you like, Ben, no, you got he, a yes
1: and, dude. I, no, he's he's the, he's the obviously great. He's and amazing, yeah. It's yeah. funny, though, because... like. Um, the class I taught him in, he was already very good. I, I was one of the, I was like a teacher had been around many years, so it was a class all full of heavy hitters who'd been around a while. And mm. the whole point was like, you're already really good, so let's just fine tune stuff. And I remember saying to him, "It's like, buddy, you got to just slow down a little bit. You got to like, not everybody's as quick as you. Oh, you got to wow. just wait for him. But now it's so funny because he does everything with middle ditch, where that's never. They're like, oh, both right. of them are just boom, 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 boom like. I guess you don't have to, you don't have to t- take the note about slowing down if you work with another actor who can just move at a thousand miles an hour. Yeah,
0: but even that note in itself is so uh, caring for your partner. I, I don't know the New York scene. That's why I, I'm so interested in talking to you guys because every comic that comes out in New York is so freaking strong. And back in the day when I was first starting in San Diego, in LA, everyone was very much like, dude, you want to get good? Go to New York for a summer. That's basically like doing like two years of comedy. So was it like a grind coming up in New York?
2: I started in D.C. And mm. I, don't know, I don't know how it compares to San Diego. But I think it is nice to start in a smaller city just because feel, so. it feels like you can fail more and not be as watched in that way. And
0: it's more supportive. Like San Diego, I don't yeah. know about D.C., but it's like a small community of like 30 to 40 comics. Everybody knows yeah. each other, plenty of stage time.
2: Yeah, that's how D.C. – I think the the comedy scene there has only grown since I lived there. But, yeah, it was, like, really supportive. You could get up pretty much any night of the week. And, yeah, I think everyone was not out to, like, you know,
1: roast each other. (laughs) I think the thing about New York ever since I started there is – I mean, it can eat you alive. You can feel so bad. But I think the thing about being a comic there is – If you want to do eight sets a night, you can do that seven nights a week. You'll drive yourself insane, but you legitimately can. Are these quality stage time? It's up and down. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, when you get to a certain level, you can certainly be doing, I would say, many nights. You can probably do three actually good shows in the same night. Right. And then if you want to tack on two or three more where you're just going to try stuff out at a lower level show, A lot of if you're someone who can get booked on three good shows, that also means that the people running the mid grade shows are so happy for you to drop in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just bounce around. Like there's comics who are legendary; they do eight nine sets a night, and it would drive me insane. But your jokes just get where they're going to wind up so much quicker because if I want to, if if I have a new joke, I can go ask you know Aparna, Joe Firestone, Marianne Ways if I can do their show in South Brooklyn. And then the same night I can go, you know, that'll be people who probably are more like they subscribe to the New Yorker and listen Mm -hmm. to NPR. And then if I want to go up to Williamsburg and Greenpoint, then I get like the indie music kids, the punk rock crowd. And then if I want to go do the stand, which I have not, I have not done as much lately. um, But then you get like the Jersey Long Island people. You want to go do the cellar. Then you get like the people who are really there for the best comedy, go up to stand up New York. It'll be a bunch of German and Australian tourists, you can get all of that. You can you can figure out how a joke works in front of every type of crowd within a week easily. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think
2: yeah, I think the audience diversity is just really wide so you just learn to field a lot of curveballs as a performer.
1: Yeah. You can have it up in front of young people, old people, working class people, rich city people. You can bounce it off of everybody within a few days and just have a sense of what's universal about this joke. That's great. It's like going on the road without... Or you,
2: or you can just learn to bomb, bomb in in every room.
1: Yeah, yeah that too. That too. You <laughs> do learn to just walk away from bombs. You really do. Yeah. I, I, I remember I had a night where um I did two shows... Same neighborhood, about three blocks apart, and the first show I bombed so hard. And I remember it was the first time I was ever on a bill with Ted Alexandro, and I really liked Ted. I think he's a really good comic and a really quality guy. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was the first time he was seeing me, and I bombed. And then I went to another show three blocks away, same set, word for word, crushed. That's just crushed. how it is, though. Like, yes. with stand-up. In New York, though. It's like New York, you just kind of pray that the last one is the... Crush yes people. that, that right. you want to do it right. in
0: that order you don't want to get standing oh yes. and then go eat shit somewhere that that's tough yeah
1: the long yeah. train ride home when the when the last one's a bomb yeah. that train right. ride right. home it, it <laughs> takes twice as long as it usually does <laughs> yeah yep. the
0: did you take acting classes or were you an improv also
2: i also did kind of what you did where i started with stand-up and then i started taking improv classes in dc like shortly after mm-hmm. i started stand-up so I actually was performing on, like, teams in D.C. for a little while, but then when I moved I moved to L.A. first, oh, I kind did. of was like, oh, yeah. I Not everyone knows that, but I lived there for, like, just under two years. But I took, like, UCB, and I took some groundlings classes, and I think I realized that you kind of have to pick one lane if you really want to focus on something, so I kind of stuck to stand-up in terms of performing, mm-hmm. but I was still, like, I felt like the improv helped with, just acting and being more comfortable on stage. And then I, I also took some acting classes when I was in L.A.
0: Yeah, it just helps with listening. I think that's the main thing with uh, yeah. stand-up.
2: And like working off of other people, I think.
0: It's funny because I met you on my first day of shoot uh, on this show. And you were just hoping to make uh, SAG insurance. You flew all the way here, last minute New York. And then you ended up being like on, on five or six episodes.
2: Yeah, your yeah, your story about how you got asked to be on it is pretty good.
1: That was that was I would say by far the strangest professional um booking of my as far as like a real gig. Like I have yeah. those hell gig stories we all have. Sure. You know you're uh-huh. signing up for something terrible. But as far as a real gig, I was um here's the story which you two have heard. So I'll give the bullet points, but basically I was in New York. I got tickets to this uh ABC was doing a TV taping tribute to Stanley. I'm a big Marvel Comics fan. I was like, I'll go to that, sure. Me and my buddy from college went and I got out. It's probably about 8 30 at night in Times Square. I got all these messages from my agent and my manager. So I called my manager. He's like, dude, um, so there's this new Greg Daniels show and they want you to do a part. Can you get to JFK by 10? <laughs> I was like, it's 8 30. And I'd have to go home first. And then on top of it, my son, my first kid, he was, I think, five months old at the time. Right. Oh. You just had a baby. too. I remember that. Just had a baby. Like going out to this Stan Lee thing was legitimately only probably the second or third time I went out and wow. did something yeah. since he had been since born. So I'm like talking to my manager. I'm like, I, pro- I don't even know if I can make the flight. He's like, it's the last flight out and they you can't go out in the morning. They need you there. It's such an early shoot. I was like, I can't really bail on my wife on like an hour and a half notice. So I call her and she's like, you know, oddly enough, I'm looking at the schedule and like on our calendar, the next two days are the only two days we've had in months where there's like not 10 things, like a doctor's appointment and this and that and a play date. So I was like, all right. So I ran home and my manager was like, they're sending a car to your house right now. Go grab some clothes, grab whatever you need, your toothbrush, your medications. So I get to the flight fly me out they bring me to a hotel i sleep for like two hours and then alarm goes off i get in a van with just one one person picks me up in a van and they start driving up into like a mountain (laughs) and then down into a canyon and it did hit a point where i was like it was so far away from los angeles that I, i hit a point where i was like this like am i is this some sort of prank show like right is this van going to get like, is this going to turn out to be a kidnapper? And I have to just figure out who, which of my dumbass friends is messing with me. But then they, it drove down into a desert, and I got out, and there was like a full size rocket ship and a helicopter and like a hundred foot tall green screen, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you remember that set, Jimmy. That's where we met. And then I get out of the van, and Steve Carell and John Malkovich were sitting there. I had legitimately no information on the show. I was you like, didn't even what? know it was
0: a Steve and John Malkovich show.
1: I was—I had had none of that knowledge. Maybe Steve. Uh-huh. I think I maybe heard like Greg Daniels and Steve Carell got back together, but like I'm like on two hours sleep, <laughs> ten hours before I was in New York City. John Malkovich is sitting in a lawn chair with a fan on him. There's a <laughs> rocket in the hell. I was like, "What is this?" And then yeah, I did it. And I think I was in Los Angeles for 14 hours total because I told him, I was like, "I have, to, I can do it, but I got to get." You home flew right I back after that scene. I oh. remember. I, to the point where they had told me, okay, we booked your flight and then shooting, we hit lunch. They weren't expecting me to stay past lunch. So then there was this mad dash. They were like, we gotta get you to the airport. But if you remember, we were out in the desert, so I'm covered in real dirt. Yeah. And then my character's such a fucking weirdo that they put makeup all over me and had my hair <laughs> standing up. So I'm like going back to the airport, like filthy with like Einstein hair. I was like, oh, I wish I got to take a shower, but Because of SAG, they got to fly you business class. And business class cross country, that means you get into the lounge. Nice. (gasps) So I went to, they got me there with time to spare. I went to the lounge and I took a shower at the airport for the first time. And now that's like my favorite thing. That is the most baller thing. Taking an airport shower.
2: Yeah. I always wonder who takes showers at
1: the airport. I took the red eye home, freshly showered, laid down in my bed seat. They gave me a hot cookie. It was the best. Wow. And I think they flew me back and forth six times. Wow. I made, my health, I made SAG health insurance and Delta Gold status because of this <laughs> job. Because of Space Force.
2: <laughs>
1: that's what matters. Like
2: yeah, that's what it's really about. Did
1: you
0: ever find out what happened? Like, was there miscommunication? Or why was it
1: so last minute? So I guess um, Greg Daniels had asked for me, which I just want to say right there is astounding to me. Have You never worked with him? I did a small part on The Office, and I did a small part on Parks and Rec. Mm. But I come from UCB, and those shows—you know, Parks and Rec in particular—it's mm-hmm. Amy Poehler. So I always assumed, you know, I'm just getting booked because people know me through that. And Greg did direct the Parks and Rec episode, but it was tiny. Oh, wow! Uh, but I guess he asked for me, and that was such a huge honor. And then something happened where it slipped through the cracks. And then, I, from what I hear. He, I, other people know this better than I do, but I guess at some point he realized they were like, Oh, we actually didn't get gathered in time. Sorry. And he got very mad. And apparently, he personally sat down at a computer and found my flight. Oh, he personally was like, This flight, this flight will get him here in time, get him here. And then I get a call while I'm trying to watch the tribute to Stan Lee. (laughs) So that was hugely flattering to me because I have a massive amount of respect for Greg Daniels. And I I honestly was like uh, pretty shocked that he even remembered who I was. Cause I have very, you know, I haven't done so much, and the stuff I've done is largely underground, and I have very low self esteem. (laughs) Just like a good, just
0: like a good comic would have. Yeah, you
2: have to keep it low.
0: Self esteem. Um, But I mean, your part, uh, even episode one, it's a fairly like smaller part, but it's so funny and so memorable. I think you know they keep bringing you back, and Eddie has just become. Such a mainstay, and so is Pella. Like that <laughs> shot, I think in episode eight, when they're interviewing you to go on the moon, that 360 pan shot, and then revealing yeah. both of you guys and the werewolf line, and also mating with each other. Was the werewolf thing improvised? Was any of those improvised? That was so funny.
2: I I don't remember if the werewolf was in the script. I think there is an improvised line in there, but yeah, we did it. Uh, we did it a couple times, right, Chris? And we like riffed. We riffed a lot of it. Like we did a. I think just because we were with like Ben and um, Don and stuff, we and John, we yeah. just
1: had a couple times. We just like played around. I remember you said something so funny, Aparna, that I then just like I heard it and I went into attack mode, trying to yes and it. Were you? You had brought up the logic issue of, well, if there's werewolves on the moon, and the moon is what turns a human into a werewolf, how does that work?
2: Oh, right, right, right. There was (laughs) a whole, yeah, logic The logistics of
1: what happens when a werewolf, is he just, does that, is the werewolf just a werewolf? Oh,
2: like, is he a werewolf all the time? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I tried to throw in in the joke, is the werewolf a wolf all the time, and then once a month the earth passes and he just turns into a guy who tries to get his laundry done and like <laughs> email his accountant and stuff and do human stuff before he turns back into a wolf. But it was very funny. So but they cut it. They cut it as they often no, do. But I mean, you oh, guys yeah. have so much
0: fun stuff. Like, are they, because uh, they are and they're prime. That line, the way you said it, it was just so funny. Oh,
2: thanks. Yeah, I think, our, our, I feel like our characters are so purely there to just create mild chaos that it's like
1: hard to not have fun with them to be weird i felt i felt so happy too because i i had been in a couple times the second time i came neither of you know this the second time they flew me out to la i was like oh cool i get to be back on it sat in a trailer all day and then the only line malkovich and Carell pull up in a golf cart and steve Carell goes hey can you fuel the rocket and I went. I just put away the hose, <laughs> and then we did it twice. And then Steve Carell went, "Cool, man, get back to New York safe." And I flew back home, and that was it. Oh my wow. god! But I got sidetracked. I wanted to say, I was so thrilled when I when they said, you know, there's going to be like a like you're going to actually be part of this duo. And then when they told me it was a Parna, I was so thrilled because a Parna, I've I've been on record. Many times saying, I think Aparna is one of the funniest people there is. So oh, that's so
2: nice. I don't think I knew when I agreed to do it that it would be with you. I, you I, I never forget how signed I found it. out. You would have yeah, said that. I would have been
0: absolutely said not. not. How, how did you find out, Aparna?
2: I had sort of a similar thing. It wasn't so last minute, but I think it was just a couple weeks before. And I think the casting office reached out to me and they were like, hey, we have this part. It's a Greg Daniels Steve Carell show like it's it's pretty fun. it's like a fun story arc if, if you want to do it and I was like, okay, but it definitely came out of nowhere like I and it was like in two weeks from when I got the offer. Oh wow uh,
0: the, the scripts came out not super last minute, but they were definitely doing rewrites uh, you know, yeah. as we were shooting so that's probably why but there's some kind of a comfort in, uh, I guess, not over-preparing, over-worrying. Because when you hear Greg Daniels and Steve and John, you're like, oh, shit, I I better know all my lines and they end up over-preparing and being kind of stiff. Right. It must feel kind of freeing. Did you say, oh, I got a gig? Sure, I'll just show up and uh, it'll be all right. Well, it's
2: kind of funny because it kind of... Uh, is the same as our characters on the show where they're like recruited very last night and they don't maybe that was on purpose Purpose. it's
1: uh, it's, like very method yeah I never got to go to the table reads because I was in New York oh so I would I would largely find out if I was coming back at all because Schwartz would text me and he'd be like you're coming back I'm not allowed to say (laughs) what NDA but then, this is a spoiler, right? People listening to this have probably seen it. Am I last Yeah, this stuff? is
0: episode 10 of the podcast, so they've seen everything.
1: He, I remember he texted me one day. He's like, dude, we just had a table read. You're going to the fucking moon. And I was like, are you talking? What are you talking? Talk- this was supposed to be a one-day thing. Yeah. They told me one episode, one and done.
0: Yeah, and your story is like Eddie's story. It's the least likely, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, my God. I'm going through it it, it is very cool and you guys get to do a lot of fun stuff on the moon because most of us were in the launch room and you guys would come in and read you know off camera I don't know Chris you were there you might be in New York Uh, but I was just so envious you know of you guys well at first curious because I don't know how those scenes gonna look I didn't see any dailies from your side of the shoot you guys were just two stages over but it must have been fun just on these... Were you guys on wires, uh, jumping around on the moon and flipping about?
2: Yeah, the moon scenes, we were on wires. And that was really fun because we got to do all this wire training. Because I guess they wanted to make sure we were safe and we kind of knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And then even though it was like that one scene, I would say we did like a five or six
1: wire rehearsals. Yeah. And they were... I... I found them difficult. I felt like you took to them much more naturally than I did, Aparna. I kept like falling and getting dragged around. But then I found out I can do backflips on the wife. Yeah. Oh, then I then you just
2: started that. whipping out backflips. <laughs> you but hustled you
1: can, us. Up, up until the backflip, I was largely, I looked like Bambi on the ice. I was <laughs> a disaster. I thought I was going to get cut because I couldn't
0: do it. Were there people like puppeteers on strings pulling you guys? What are you attached to
2: yeah, there's like someone in char like in charge of pulling with you and it's sort of like a little bit of a two-person thing where they're going off of your body weight shifting as to when to like pull you up and go down. So you have to like figure out a rhythm between the two of you. So
0: each astronaut had two puppeteers.
1: Was it yeah. two or four? each each of us, yeah, had two guys pulling oh, the strings, amazing. And then there were two coordinators yeah. who kind of told them when to go and then there was a whole stunt team. And we'd each have one member of the stunt team yeah. working with us hands on. Wow. Um, in the practices, so and then the, the a lot of the uh, stunt team are actually some of the other people in the astronaut suits along the way. Oh, that the makes the sense. Yeah. show, yeah. yeah, yeah, and they were all very nice, but they were all badass. Like one of the coordinators at one point told me he had a background in gymnastics, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And he's like, "Yeah, there's actually a gymnastics move." named after me because I originated. What, in. what was the yeah. move? I forget. I forget. And then and then one of the one of the stunt people, she told me she found out that I like martial arts and, and she does them as well. And she told me she trains with this guy, Judo Jean Labelle. If you look this guy up, he's like like since the fifties he's been a Whoa. notorious badass. Like they all, they all had these crazy lives and stories it was pretty fun pretty fun to be around yeah pretty bad
2: but yeah i would say the last few scenes it was kind of funny because it was just us driving back and forth on the moon for like hours
0: and and those things were actually like drivable cars right they're real cars
2: they were but i think one of them ran out of gas or something when we had when we had like a take left so literally a bunch of crew guys had to push a Push us across.
0: <laughs> and, and and I just saw those two cars because uh, the Chinese side has like a more moderny looking car, I guess. It almost looks like an ATV. Whereas yeah. the American side, it was like a more of a, a, a
1: capsule. I also found it very weird because they would have us you you'd get in the spacesuit and you largely had to stay in it all day. Yeah, right. Because it was very hard to get in and out of. And they had us all in ours with the U.S. flag on them, and then they booked other actors to be the Chinese contingent who had the Chinese flag, and then we were all kind of sitting. I found it very weird, almost like like um, as as if we were two separate units. Yeah, weren't. it was very because we didn't really Holland.
2: mix with each other.
1: We only met. There was, I think, only one or two days where the, where the actors playing the Chinese astronauts showed up.
0: Oh. So they
1: were kind of sitting off in their corner, and we were in our corner. And I was like, this actually, this feels very, uh, this feels weird. Yeah. And it was no one's fault. It was just we were all in fucking uniforms. So everybody sat with the people in their matching uniforms. It was odd.
2: Yeah. Plus, you would get so hot in your spacesuit that, like, when you got a break, you would just want to sit and not talk to anyone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can you pee out of it?
2: No, No, you needed someone to, like, help you out. So you you would have to, like, ask for pee breaks.
0: Wow. (laughs) Was there a fitting for the spacesuit or was that, like, a one-size-fit-all?
2: No, I think there was a fitting. Because I think they're built for, like, most of them are built for, like, dudes who are out. Well,
1: they were. I heard they were used in the movie Ad Astra. Oh, Brad Brad Pitt's movie. But there is a chance, Parna, that you or I was wearing Brad Pitt's spacesuit.
2: I bet... Probably you are closer to Brad Pitt size.
1: They probably gave Owen Brad Pitt's space suit. Oh yeah. <laughs> Owen is the
2: tallest.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know
0: how tall Brad is. I don't think he's as tall as Owen.
2: Yeah, that's true. Owen is pretty tall.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean you guys tell me, like working with Steve and John, just the two oh, legends. Yeah. I was so nervous that first day. Chris, I don't know if you had enough sleep for you to even be nervous. You know, and, and Aparna, your first time working with those
1: guys? I was kind of in a um, haze, for sure. But I do know that at one point, John came up to me and said, he was like, what you're doing is very funny. Oh, and that, that's great. That, that oh. meant a lot. That was very reassuring. But I also, that first day, I, I, when they brought me back, I kind of didn't even really remember it. So I didn't really know... Mm. i should have asked like can i watch the dailies from that day because i don't really remember i remember at one point they said make it a lot crazier almost appalachian
0: what is that what's appalachian like hillbilly oh oh, oh!
1: (laughs) so i just started going nuts and Ah, then i had to match that the rest of the episodes well and then i remember you have this twitch on your face
0: yeah at first i was like wait is chris all right like is that just him But then, like for watching from the launch room, you start doing this Eddie Twitch, and I loved
1: it.
2: Yeah, it's like this this expressing confused face or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, I kind of in my mind decided that even when he was inside, the sun was always in his eyes. <laughs>
0: yeah, <it's
1: laughs> That's so brilliant. One of the directors didn't love that choice and kept telling me, "Hey, could you tone down the twitch?" So I said, "Okay, okay,
0: okay." Oh, I think that was episode nine or ten. I think that Dana said something and yes. like oh. she was
1: like, hey, "You're, you know, you're in an extreme close up in a lot of these shots, so you can do like one twentieth of the twitching and it'll be fine." I was like, "Cool, cool." And cool,
0: there cool, was cool. one take where uh, um, I think Naird was telling you guys to disassemble the guns. And then you exit off a frame and then you walk like in super slow-mo off frame. I was dying laughing watching the feed from the
1: launch room. Well, I was very embarrassed by that because Dana came in and again said, hey, the walk is a little too goofy. Can you tone it down? (laughs) And I had to sadly say... I was making no effort to be goofy right there. That's just (laughs) me 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 in wires. (laughs) If you put me in wires, that's how I walk. And she kind of doubled over laughing at me. That's great.
0: (laughs) A part of were you? Um, what was that? A real bird in your face?
2: It was. I had a day on set where the only reason I had to be there was to meet the bird.
0: What? (laughs) You have to do a chemistry test with the bird. (laughs)
2: Yeah, there was like a day, there was like Pella meets the bird, and that was all. I just came in to to have a, yeah, face-to-face with the bird.
0: And and it was in your face, in the helmet.
2: Yeah, I think it didn't cooperate exactly as they wanted it to, but I think they finally figured out that it would sit on like the edge of it, because they, they kept putting it in a place where it didn't like it, so it would keep crawling up my arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, these birds, they have a lot of demands.
0: Yeah, unionized birds. They're, they're very yeah. difficult to work. I would have freaked out, like the bird would just really? peck my eyes out or something. Because it's right there.
2: Right. Well, apparently it's a baby bird because the animal trainer that told me that they have to work with baby birds because the older ones will be too aggressive.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Also, I think we yeah. blew our uh, CGI animal budget on Chimp... I think you did. <laughs> this one has to be a practical one.
2: Yeah, the chimp stuff was wild.
0: Yeah. Now, you said this is the last episode of the podcast, right? It right. is. It's episode 10. We should talk about the episode also. All the cliffhangers, all the, you know, Chinese versus America stuff. Because, man, that was watching it compared to reading the script was so different. Watching it, I was like, holy shit, we really wrote ourselves in a hole here.
1: All of these people are almost required to die. Yeah. Right. I did say to my wife, though, I was like, if we get season two, I I probably have to be on at least one episode. You have to. Because they at least have to kill me.
2: Right. (laughs) They have to kill both of us. Yeah, both of
0: you guys would at least have to come back. So that means maybe, you know, next year your SAG insurance will be taken care of and also uh, you get like another year of uh, Delta Gold status.
1: Yeah, well, they extended it because of the pandemic. Everybody gets an extra year oh. so. Oh, they did? i really clear on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Whoa. get your status. It's 2021. You just get the status you already have.
0: It's automatic.
1: You don't have to call them. Yeah, because oh. they know nobody's flying right now, and they're not trying to lose loyalty members. Yeah. Okay, so I got my gold medallion, which is not great, but it's doable. It's doable.
0: Okay, this scene, very funny scene, is when Dr. Mallory and everyone on Earth realizes the astronauts are gravely unprepared, and he talks to Eddie, Pella, and the rest of the astronauts to find a wrench. How can there be no hammers? We must have packed hammers.
1: Nope. None of the big doctor brains packed a hammer. They're wrenches Then use a, a wrench as a hammer. That's not how you take care of your wrenches.
2: No toothbrushes or deodorant either. But there are 10 years worth of tampons for some reason.
1: Wait, young man, what are
2: you using as a shovel?
0: Sir, it's actually space obi over here her hand, sir. And I'm using a metal moon scoop with an adjustable crescent-shaped head. Sir!
1: That's a wrench, you dimwit. Hey, what's that hissing noise?
2: Jesus, uh,
0: you have to patch that up immediately or you'll all die. The the duct tapes in locker one. It's it's so good. You guys, it's dynamic. Even just hearing that for the first time, Chris, I, I don't know if that's okay for you. I hope that was
1: well because we can spill the tea. I thought I was going to cut to video, and it just cut to a uh, still picture of Grant's face. Of Grant, our producer so I still Grant, have not yeah.
0: seen. So so so, so.
1: not seen like. My- Myself in space, for, but it sounded sounded funny enough. It sounded great, it sounded pretty good.
0: And you can hear the dynamic of Eddie being Eddie, and then Pella coming in deadpan. It was it was
1: it was like a musical. I think I, you guys are a great combo. <laughs> well, is a gem. This is very true. If you have not seen Aparna do stand up, you are missing out. Aparna's oh, a gem.
2: Oh come on, so
1: easy to work with. Well, no. It's one of those situations where I feel very lucky because I'm up there with someone who I know is rock solid funny. So it allows me to relax because mm-hmm. I'm like, if the, wor- the worst that happens in this scene is that I'm off and then we got a parna hitting three pointers because that's what's going to happen. It's yeah. A parna. It's past a rock. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, the astronaut group in general was kind of a fun group because Tani's super funny and mm-hmm. quick. And I think it's Hector yeah, and...
0: Tara and Owen and owen yeah those two are great also really the show has a back to the basketball reference i think steve said this once also uh the show just has a very deep bench of course you got steve you got uh malkovich but even if you look at the joint chiefs room all of those guys are stars that can have their own shows yeah astronauts both of you guys could totally have
1: your own shows and y'all just come in and just everybody just kills it. I watched the trailer and I was shocked. I was like, Roy Woods in this? Yeah. yeah he's so, wow. He's so I, funny.
2: Didn't,
1: I didn't even know. This show has had such an epic scale that there's people in, in it who I didn't even know had been on a call sheet. Yeah, and just they're every
0: turn you see somebody like, oh shit, that's Ginger Gonzaga. Oh, that's Jane Lynch. That's, you know, of course, uh, Fred Willard, the late and great, amazing Fred Willard. Yeah. Um, every everything was was amazing um, when you guys first read the episode ten script, were you
1: surprised of of you know how all these cliffhangers at the end? yeah,
2: I really thought they would maybe leave it a little bit more resolved, but they yeah they really left it on kind of a who knows what's going to happen? Cause it does kind of seem like, aren't they going to die if they don't have a shelter?
0: Yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I've been reading some science space.com articles to see what you need to do.
2: Is that a website?
0: Space.com is a great website. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast no, has been sponsored by space.com at Astra and Delta medallion uh, <laughs> uh, loyalty members. Um, so have you have you guys seen the whole show? Have you guys seen the whole season? You, you can say no; it's fine.
1: I don't watch things I'm in because I have psychological issues, and it wrecks me. My wife wants to watch it, though, so I probably will. But by and large, I don't ever watch or listen to anything. You know, I
0: do. You're so right, though. I can't do it. Malkovich says he never does it. Um, I don't. I I can't. Like it really. You get so self-critical.
2: Yeah. And there's
1: nothing can do about it. You know yeah I don't like the way I look I don't like the way I behave I don't like the way I sound so I just don't do it
0: but with Eddie he's so different from you
1: right it is definitely I would say like uh the most I've been told to get cartoonish usually people bring me in and I'm just kind of like um like you know like a white nerd who Seems like he might snap. Like that's kind of my <laughs> wheelhouse. Is like a weird white nerd? Has rage issues. Incel. So in- is your type. Is yeah. That yeah, yeah. I think I think I am kind of like cast quite often as a grown up incel type. <laughs> um, incel slash Chris Gethard type. It's true. Most shows I've been on. So uh, this, uh, yeah, this one was a departure. So maybe I can watch it, but it, it's tough. It's tough. I'm very critical, very critical. Mm.
2: I watched it all with my boyfriend and I usually also don't watch stuff that I'm in, but I think because I knew that I wouldn't be in most of it, I felt safer.
0: Yeah, and and, and what did you and your boyfriend think? Did he have some theory? I feel like everyone I've watched it with, uh, especially episode 10, people like have all kinds of theories of what's going to happen, which I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I think we, I think the moon stuff kind of came, it's introduced later, so you kind of don't see it coming. Yeah. And then the way they leave it, you're sort of like, I don't know if they're, if this is going to go well or not for all of them. Yeah. uh, Because they are just underprepared, to say the least.
1: I mean, you you never know where they're going to go. We could just kill everyone on the moon, you know. (laughs) It could be. Could be if they if if they do kill us all. I hope I have a, a, a funny death. Eddie would yeah.
0: definitely have a funny death.
1: I think they, Eddie
2: and Pella would have a funny death, and I feel like they would keep the bird alive. Yeah,
0: that would be good. they can't
1: kill the bird. Yeah, they can't
0: kill the bird. Yeah. can't kill humans. It's fine. Just don't don't touch yeah. the animals. I think I, I've I've seen comments of even people getting upset that the dog died, even though it was a CGI dog, and. Uh, we never showed the death of a dog. We just saw that, the, you know, the tail, you know, in the, yeah. in the chimp scene. But people were upset about that. You really, you can't fuck with animals.
2: No, I feel like I took that hard because I even knew, <laughs> I even remembered someone on set talking about that episode, so I kind of knew what was going to happen. And I still was like, oh, I can't believe they killed the dog.
1: I really hope everybody survives because I do need the work. (laughs) And we're also talking as if there will definitely be a season. Yeah, let's wait
0: for the series pickup
1: first. Yeah, let's (laughs) not get so ahead of ourselves. But I hope it gets picked up and I hope Eddie lives uh, because I am constantly on the verge of losing my health insurance. So I really would love to the powers that be at Netflix. If you could just hook me up personally, I would love that.
2: That feels like what this uh, this podcast should be. The last episode should just be us begging for a pickup.
0: <laughs> well, you guys have uh, five minutes. You know, I'm sure Tessa Rando is listening to this.
1: So, go.
2: Please, I need this, Ted.
1: I have a son. I have a son. He's one year old. He gets his health insurance through me. I can't. I can't put this kid into a world where he he's not secure and safe. So please. Please, I need this. Get me at least like four or five episodes and then I'll have my health insurance.
0: Yo, Chris, so if you don't make insurance, your son don't get no insurance?
1: Yeah, that's the world we live in.
0: That's serious, guys. Guys, we gotta, gotta not kill yeah. Chris. We gotta not kill Eddie in the show. This is, um, this is serious humanity over here.
1: Can I also say, I wanna, can I get one thing on record that we haven't spoken about yet? Okay. And I'm sure this has come up probably every other episode. Mm-hmm. Space Force. By far. The greatest craft services I've ever seen on the set of any show ever. You know what's so funny? Steve was suggesting
0: we get the craft service guy on this episode. I'm like, no, nah, we don't need to talk to a
1: craft service guy. But
2: yes, you. Do. I should have uh, instead
1: of me. We should... that person is an artist. No, no, no. I mean, like deviled eggs. You go in there. Uh, where'd this plate of deviled eggs appear from? You leave. You come back an hour later. The deviled eggs are gone. But you got a fajita bar? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It is
2: a vegan stew. Whenever you want, oh my
0: god, yeah, it is so great because it's a room. It's a whole room set up for craft service because usually craft service is just outside somewhere.
1: Yeah, never seen anything like it. Yeah, it was every day was a delight and a surprise, and I learned that there is an art to craft services. You know, any profession, there's a level where you can be an artist at it craft service on Space Force ascended to that height. It was amazing. People would skip meals routinely because craft service was stealing the show.
0: Okay, so we got a clip here. So this scene is where General Naird is chatting with Angela and the rest of the astronauts on the moon uh, telling them to do the right thing. It's a great speech from Steve.
1: Captain, when we first met, you disobeyed an order. Yeah, I remember it well, sir. Today, I'm thinking about doing the same. This is being recorded, General. The generation that won World War II was exposed to so much awful reality that they made mostly good decisions for a long time after. Forget history and you are doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. Forget how bad polio was. People stopped taking vaccines. Forget how bad world wars are. People start puffing out their chests. The real enemy is arrogance.
0: Ooh. Ooh. That scene was so interesting because Steve was so good. Yeah. And and there's tiny camera movements and Steve is giving a big speech and I'm sitting like next to him just as an extra basically in the scene my whole goal in that scene is to not move and fuck up the scene. Like, if I look at the wrong person, I could just fuck up this amazing, beautiful speech. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, that monologue is so good.
0: Were were you guys uh, live, like, seeing us? Um, Because there's some scenes where we saw each other with uh, cameras, but then some others, not
1: so much.
2: I feel like that one we were maybe reading off, but we weren't in our scene. We were just reading off
1: with you guys. Yeah, I think we're kind of just off in a corner. Yeah. Yelling our lines. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I felt bad for
0: you guys uh, with a lot of those scenes because you guys will have to stay very late. In in regular clothes, just reading lines to us in a corner behind the camera in the launch room.
1: I, I was like, dude, just, just have somebody else read it. They can go home. Like, it's fine. I but agree you guys with you. My life is very hard. And um, <laughs> I should, you know. <laughs> Being fed, being fed delicious food all day, flown around the country,
2: and you just have to say lines off camera. I
1: know, I know. How dare they? How dare they?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like, no, 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 don't say none no, no. Yeah, of that. Please yeah, yeah. pay we, me for those we days. I love that. Yeah, when I'm off camera, Ted Sarandos, you'd be listening. Uh, Chris Gethard needs health insurance <laughs> for next year because he has a child. Yes,
1: yes. I can't, I can't be fucking around, Ted. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you guys
1: for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad that you ended with the uh, two heaviest hitters you could find.
0: (laughs) I I absolutely agree. And for the people out there, uh, if you don't know, hot tip, Delta is extending your medallion status (laughs) for free for another year because of the pandemic. So thank you very much, Chris Gethard. Thank you very much, Aparna. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. All right. This has been Inside Joke, Space Force. Thank you for joining us. The podcast was hosted by me, Jimmy Oyang. Produced by Ray Vota, Grant Rutter, Matt Sav, and Rachel King. In partnership with Pod People. Edited by Daniel Karasimi. Special thanks to Kurt Graver, Allison McManus, Mick Masters, Lamarco McClendon, and Mandy Ellis. This has been Inside Joke, Space Force. And thank you for joining us.